Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello there, my sweet sisters of the Red Podcast. It's Elaine Kalila, and I'm back this episode. And I'm super excited because I have been courting this particular woman whose work I think is incredible in the world. Her name is Kathleen McGowan. If you haven't heard of her, you've probably been living under a rock. <laughs> Especially if you have any interest in the Magdalene and in the revival of what I call the Red Women, uh, well, actually the notorious Red Women um, of history and of our present day. So, you know, I first came across Kathleen, I don't know how many years ago, when I stumbled upon her trilogy, The Expected One, The Book of Love, The Poet Prince, and then more recently, we've had The Bolin Heresy. But that is only the tip of the iceberg of what Kathleen's up to in the world, by the way. you, Some of you may have known her from Gaia TV. Some of you may know her as being an incredible scholar and teacher and practitioner of the way of love. And so I am just overexcited to be here with you, sweetheart. Thank you for making the time to come. Oh. <laughs> no, it's a privilege. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So, you know, I'm going to context this by saying, you know, I've been on this um, exploration, a deep, deep dive into the Magdalene with a lot of different angles, a lot of different lineage bearers, a lot of different scholars, and, you know, really just asking the question about, who not just who is Mary Magdalene? Yes, okay, as a historical character, historical woman who's got so much to teach us. But Kathleen, one of the things that I've been sitting with is is like this question of why now? Why is because everywhere you turn, Mary Magdalene is peeking out from all these different places. I, literally, every time I turn on my computer, there's something else about Mary Magdalene coming up. Um, I was just watching something on Netflix the other day and they they actually quoted Mary Magdalene in it. And I was just like, there she is again. And there she is again, right? Um, as viewed, so appears. <laughs> but I'm super curious from your lens, like why in this particular moment are we having this renaissance with her? Um, and what would you say about that? Uh, big question. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of different answers to this question. So, you know, first of all, I think one of the reasons that she, one of the reasons that she is so appealing on such a broad level, yeah. um, and particularly now, is uh, something that I refer to as uh, uh, Marie de Choix, Mary of your choice, mm. and that is because she, depending on what lens you are looking at her and what aspect of her life you are looking at, she covers a lot of archetypes. Yeah. 
She is not a, this is not a singular archetype. This is not one woman, one personality, one, one sort of persona or one set of teachings. This is a very complicated, important woman. Mm-hmm. She's complicated and important historically and spiritually and therefore personally. Mm. So I've been writing about her now for 30 years. This is my, this is year 30 for me because I started writing about her in 1993. So, um, and as you know, I've spent a lot of time around the world studying her. Mm. And, um, And my perspective, I think, is quite different. And it has evolved into being something quite different. When I wrote, I wrote The Expected One 25 years ago. I know, so I believe that. I was a very different person when I wrote The Expected One. And it's very much, you know, Maureen, who is my protagonist in that book, is very much me mm-hmm. um, at a time in my life where I was quite innocent in this, mm-hmm. in this journey. It was new. I was Alice, right? I was Alice and I fell down the rabbit hole and I discovered this world. Mm-hmm. And so I really wrote The Expected One from that point of view. Well, now I've lived in Wonderland for 30 years. So <laughs> right. Alice has grown old. <laughs> I am now Alice as crone. Uh, yeah. and, um, yeah. and hopefully as wiser woman. Uh, and what I, I, I've discovered is uh, a very different, a very different Magdalene for our time. And when I wrote the expected one um, and the majority of Magdalene material is very focused on her life with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Certainly in my books, um, I was very focused on that. And I was very focused on them also as the archetype for uh, sacred union, divine compliments, uh, you know, this, uh, this spiritual marriage of the masculine and the feminine. But over the last, I would say, 10 years, as I've spent more and more time here, sort of immersed in, in the legends in France um, and, the his- and the history, it's not just legend. There's a lot of, a lot of history here about who Mary Magdalene was. And when you, you start looking at things like Mary Magdalene being arrested for preaching on the steps of a temple, you know, you start to look at her and you start seeing that this was a this was a real activist, right? This is this is a woman who was profoundly powerful. This is a woman who evangelized the entire nation of France and parts of the rest of Europe into Italy almost by herself mm-hmm. in a time. When women had no voice and no power. So this tells me that Mary Magdalene was a profoundly powerful, dynamic activist and a leader. And this is something that I think for now, for women in the 21st century, that we have a real opportunity to look at her as a role model. How did she do this? And she did it with in complete peace, right? Didn't shed any blood. This wasn't a crusade. This was this was something really extraordinary that she was able to accomplish predominantly by creating community. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of been my fascination is really tracking how did Magdalene accomplish this extraordinary feat and who must she really have been? What would Mary Magdalene really do um, as opposed to this vision of her we've been given for, for such a long time of, you know, her being at the feet of Jesus and wiping her feet with her hair and all those things that she really didn't do. Um, this idea of her being, you know, in the cave for 30 years, we also know that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
I people ask me what I think is the greatest crime against Magdalene is do I think that the greatest crime against Magdalene was it the church saying that she was a prostitute or a fallen woman? No, the greatest crime committed against Mary Magdalene is saying that she lived in the cave for 30 years and did nothing. That's the crime against Mary Magdalene. I hear you. I hear you. I, I love this this way in which you talked about it, because I think that this is part of the, the zeitgeist that we're in around what fragments we have that are available to us, right, from the Gospels, from the apocryphal Gospels, from all the pieces that we can thread together, this grand mystery trail of the Magdalene, of what we can study and what we can then go into in a contemplation with, well, who was she and what is she really teaching us? And I've been completely fascinated by that tradition and the Gnostic tradition of internal inquiry with that. But what I love about you, what you said, Kathleen, that I think is capturing us is this thing of her being a complex woman who actually had all these different archetypal faces, which is exactly where I've been in my own kind of study of her and feeling of her and who was she, that she's this powerful, powerful um, role model for us as women, even in being called a fallen woman and a prostitute, because there is a huge, as we know, reclamation going on for us as women of our her story. And I know that this is really your life's mission. And one of the times I heard you talking that really, really pinged me as I was like, oh, this is sister in arms over here was you were talking about like really about this, the denigrated feminine, right? And reclaiming those voices and just as a woman in the world now, still being targeted and still being undermined and still being, um, you know, you know, whatever the word would be like debacled around the fact that we are trying to tell a different story based upon, yes, what's in the scripture, but based upon who we are in our DNA as women reclaiming our spiritual authority and our place in the story of you know, the goddess on earth. And so I just really want to mirror that back to you. And the question I have around that, which has been so fascinating to me, is you said, I don't remember it was, I, I remember hearing you say this and it stayed with me, you know, that you really feel that Mary Magdalene has one of the most important, I think you said something single-handedly changed the course of Western history. And I'd love, right? I'd love to hear what you mean by that, because I think that that, really puts her at the center of really where we are now, actually. And I'm so curious what you meant by that and to unpack that a bit with you. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. And it is a yeah. big piece of it is a big piece of my my mission is is to is to um make this make her importance more understood. Mm -hmm. um, again, her importance after Jesus, not during Jesus. There's plenty about Magdalene during Jesus. And believe me, I wrote hundreds and hundreds of pages of it myself. But now I think we've moved on. And maybe just because I've moved on, because going back to this idea, Magdalene is all three stages of womanhood, right? She's made mother and crone. We can, we can visit Magdalene archetypally in all these different places. And again, this is one of the reasons why I think that she's, she's so um, appealing to so many people, because uh, she can, Mary Magdalene can meet you wherever you are on your path, right? Uh, she was very important for me during my, my widowhood, right? So uh, in, in the days when I was, I was a young widow and, you know, my husband uh, died five months after we were married and he was 41 years old and it was an incredibly tragic story. Um, and I was, you know, not in my body for 18 months and probably a little bit insane uh, for several years. And um, it was walking 
you know, in her footsteps, it was it was trying to emulate who she was during grief period. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I learned from her in that period and continues to be, mm-hmm. uh, I think, the most important lesson um, that Magdalene teaches us in all aspects of her life is perseverance. She taught me is you have you have you have work to do in the world. You have a mission and your job is to get up every day and to and take at least one step forward into that mission. And, you know, on good days, you're going to take a lot more than that. But on bad days, you're just going to take one step. But your job is to persevere and to continue to be who you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Tell you in that way, single handedly, Mary Magdalene got me through my widowhood. Right. Got me through the worst pieces of my grief. Um, so, I mean, that's a little bit of a sidebar in terms of, uh, of how this aspect of who she is, is something that every single woman can look at and identify with and say, I can, I can learn from her. Yeah. But in terms of her historical importance, and I think that's the question that you're asking, mm. is what we have when we're looking at the first century, when we're looking at early Christianity, what we're most commonly uh, aware of and what we understand is that all these male apostles went to Rome. And the, the message of what the early Christians uh, were carrying and teaching, the message that came from Jesus and potentially from Jesus and Magdalene together, uh, becomes very Romanized, right? Mm-hmm. Rome is the problem, first and foremost. Yes, patriarchy is the problem. Yes, these are male apostles. But it's the Romanization of Christianity, because what is Rome? It is hierarchical. It is patriarchal. It is violent. And all of those things become intrinsic to this flourishing new church that's happening in Rome. And as a result, it very rapidly becomes the antithesis of what it originally started out as. Right. Right. So conversely, we have Mary Magdalene and her sister, Martha. And the other Marys, Mary Jacobe, Mary Salome, and several other women uh, who come to France and begin to do something very different. Yeah. And they're bringing a very different version because the version they're bringing is pure, mm-hmm. right? It's the true teachings, which are about faith and community and love. It's the way of love is being taught here on the shores of France, and it spreads across France and it spreads into Italy and becomes an really an alternate universe mm-hmm. to the Christian that has been developing in Rome. And now we have this very feminized version, which evolves into something that we know in the Middle Ages as Catharism, right? What does Catholic mean? It means pure, right? It is a pure form of the original teachings. And in Catharism, women are leaders. Yeah. Um, men are equal to women, not women men. Men are equal to women, but women are leaders because the original forms that are brought to France come from the women. Mm. And Magdalene is the evangelist who brings this across across France. And that's why when you come here and you visit here, and I know you've yeah. been here, uh, and I lead tours here so that people can see this for themselves, because when you see it in the landscape, you know, you're, you're changed by it. You go, oh my gosh, this is a secret. She's everywhere. Yeah. And you go, visit all these places and they say, well, Mary Magdalene taught here and Mary Magdalene was here and she was here. And, and all of a sudden you realize that she was a traveling minister, just like Jesus was, and that she was getting this message out as an activist across the land here. And as a result, she created this amazing Mm. spiritual tradition 
that thrived here until 1209 when the church got scared and said, this is dangerous and declared a crusade against this spiritual tradition. And for the next 120 years, the church swept into France and across Italy and in a genocide and attempted to eradicate all of the people that followed this tradition and killed hundreds of thousands of people in mass murder that went on for about 120 years. Yeah. So we can only imagine what the world would look like if Magdalene's version of Christianity um, was actually the version that survived, as opposed to the more patriarchal, uh, violent, global superpower that ultimately evolved evolved in Rome. But conversion of France, Magdalene's spirituality, which then also seeds uh, the royal families of France going forward for the next 2,000 years, is something that changes the world. And as you know, I write about this mm-hmm. in my most recent book, The Boleyn Heresy, is very much about how the queens of France mm-hmm. made these traditions uh, in private and in secret because it was heresy, um, you know, going through into the into the 19th century. Ooh, let's all just take that in for a moment. <laughs> you know, I, I wanna I wanna just rethread to something you said, Kathleen, because I think it's actually super important. In many of the threads that I'm weaving around the Magdalene, there is this this thing I'm noticing archetypally in common, which is you talked about how Magdalene has walked been walking with you, right? So this is this is part of the what I would say the deeper esoteric spiritual part beyond what we know, right? It's the calling forward of her as an internal experience of the mother of these different faces of feminine spirituality. And when you spoke about losing your husband, becoming a widow, and that Magdalene walked with you, there's such an interesting overlay because when she really came to me deeply was you know, I would say was probably when I was 13 years old without knowing it, but really consciously knowing it when I had a miscarriage when I was 46 years old. And I had never been able to fall pregnant. So this was the story I had. So I I fell pregnant at 46 and I miscarried at 15 weeks. And, And I haven't, and I don't have a child this lifetime. That's not been my journey. So I painted Magdalene when I was going through the grief process. It was part of what she called me to do was to paint the image of the grieving Magdalene, of the keening Magdalene, of the Magdalene who knew how to access grief as love and love as grief, the way of love being truly our humanity, truly when we are most in our humanity. And I just really wanted to to, to highlight that with you because I can feel how she called to you. And I think many of us have avoided answering her call for many, many reasons. I too, because I was a confirmed non-Christian after being a Christian from my early years, I left the church in disgust. That whole thing happened. And so for me to be called back to Mary Magdalene was, was, it was a very intense experience because I had to do a lot of uncovering of who is this person that's calling me. But I think that there's something in in common in the gestalt of where we are as a culture, as a world, what we're facing into, the difficulties and complexities that she holds some keys to in terms of this way of love. 
And I would love to talk a little bit with you about what is, from your understanding, the way of love, not just as an idea, but as an actual embodied practice. Like what, what, what was she teaching that we can understand from, you know, our own personal adventure with her, but also studying her. I'm just curious what you've gleaned, because this has been my main area of like, well, what is the ministry really that she was sharing? And I, I think, you know, I, I'm I'm blessed to live in this, this region in the south of France, where yeah. the kids lived, and, um, and uh, where Bagsland taught, and where this way of love is still very, very much um, uh, an active practice. Mm-hmm. Um, just yesterday, up in the garden in Marcheteau, um, we welcomed a group of 45 people from South America, uh, mostly women, but there were, I think, five or six men, and they were all on a Magdalene path, and they were all here to, you know, get an, an essence of, of what Magdalene was like in, in the region. Mm-hmm. Today was just so full of sharing and exchanges and openness. It was this open-hearted mm-hmm. miracle, and everybody that was there people who are very new to this and people like me who've been doing this for 30 years, we all said, this is it. Like mm. this, it to be, to be able to just sit in community. Community is key. The very essence of the way of love is living in community. It's about this complete mm. equality of understanding that we are all in this together. It is about oneness that we are one community mm. One of us falls, we all fall. When one of us stands, we all stand. So it's really about how do we live this? How do we live in this place where we take care of each other, where everybody brings their own genius into the community, whatever it is, and is honored for it and respected for it. And everyone has bad days. And those people, when they're having a bad day, they're left by the people that are, you know, they're having that are solid or having good days. It's so much about loving it. It's loving your neighbor, right? It's, you know, Jesus says, Matthew 22, throughout the rest of the Bible, you know, love God, love yourself, <laughs> love your neighbor. That's it. Like, this is it. These are the things that matter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like this is the essence of the way of love is that we need to be in community with each other. We need to love each other. We need to welcome each other in. We need to heal each other, help each other heal. We need to be patient with each other. This is something that I have to, work on this is part of my spiritual practice is is patience um <laughs> i'm an aries well, you are a red-headed aries come on now <laughs> doesn't come naturally to me uh, but at the same time you know sometimes love is fierce right sometimes yeah. love is tough and, and so i'm also going to say this isn't all tough bunnies and unicorns and rainbows you know it's also about knowing when you have to stand in your truth mm-hmm. and when, when when things need to you know if, if something needs to change to be willing to say hey I, this is this is not okay mm-hmm. if, if you need to defend the innocent or you know the the struggling then then that's also something that has mm-hmm. to be done mm-hmm. I believe strongly that Mary Magdalene was an activist and uh, and I, that's one of the things that I think that you know is important so uh, the Cathars we learn from the Cathars yes they were pacifists but they were doing very, very important things in their communities. They were, you know, they were they were herbalists and they were, you know, actively helping the communities around them um, with you know, medical, uh, in medical ways, but also uh, they did everything from, you know, cooking to, to just caring for each other. And mm-hmm. so during the Crusades, when 
it was heresy to be a Cathar, and the, the forces of the church were going to the Catholic homes and saying, you need to turn in your neighbors. Mm. The Catholics were saying, no, there are, there are people, there are neighbors, there are, you know, we love them. And so, in a lot of cases, you had a lot of good Catholic people going to their deaths for protecting the Cathars because they had come into this sense of community and this way of love. And they said, we can't, we, how can we turn these people over when we know that they are practicing the real ways of love, the way that Jesus taught it. And, and this is something that, that we have to, we have to really look at. Um, I'm going to take a breath for a minute, but in a second, I want to take that the next to the gospel of Mary Magdalene, because I think that's where we also learn a lot more about the way of love. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'd love within that is, you know, that's, um, so the gospel of Mary Magdalene is, is one of those places that there, there's a lot being said and not a lot being said, right? In the pages that we have access to. And I think for any of us who've been traveling the path of, of, of meeting Mary Magdalene, like really, really sitting in contemplation with those words of, you know, I remember when I really accessed into, you know, you know, the whole piece where she is uh, in the upper room and all the, the other disciples are all freaking out that Jesus is dead. Yes. And she turns to them and basically, rather than telling them off because they haven't understood anything that Jesus has said about, about being risen, she just loves them. She chooses to embrace them, right? And I I remember reading that for the very first time and being like, oh, it's so very, very simple. But if you really deepen into what she's doing there, she's being the transmission of love. She's not going into judgment and separation and being, oh, you silly people. And even though that's what they're doing to her, right? They they judge her and cast her out. She's actually demonstrating through not, which is so the feminine way, right? The embodied way. It's not like talking about it. It's actually just being it. And in that moment, she loves them and they calm down, of course, because she's being the love in the room and saying, it's okay. Remember, everything's okay. He told us this was going to happen. So anyway, I, I, I'm just saying that because there's something very, it's so very human. It's so and very first human. Thing the first thing she says in that moment is my brothers. Right. She brings them into this. My brothers. And she puts um, her arms Right, and she she's the comforter in chief in this in, in this That's place. Right, like, right is the divine feminine. She is holding them. Yeah. I mean, she's the female aspect of God in that room in that moment, and I she's all- so beautiful. Well, so let's talk more about that, the Gospel of Mary, because that's the beginning. That's where we kind of start is her laying that groundwork. And it's easy if you just read it at a very superficial level to not get that. And I think that that's the piece where, you know, obviously when we become initiated on a path, it's like we start to go deeper into the deeper meaning of what we're actually being shown. And we take it in as a embodied consciousness and go, well, what would that be like? And that's where she's been such a teacher for me is in those places, but I'm super curious because obviously we've got the whole piece that works with um, some really deep teachings in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about why it's so important and what we can learn about her from it. Uh, I'm writing a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, writing a book called the Magdalene. I'm writing a book called The Magdalene Way, and it basically takes apart the Gospel of Mary Magdalene line by line. Um, and really looks at all these sort of different layers of it. It's like everything else in this 
in this story. Um, there's so many layers to it. Like you said, you can read it in a very superficial way. Right. Um, and you can, you know, read it with annotated versions. There's some beautiful annotated versions out in the market. Um, and, uh, you know, it's available to everyone for free on the internet if they just want to read it right. in a normal state. It's extremely accessible now. Mm. Um, but there's a lot, there's so many layers to it and there's so much more depth to it as well. And, um, you know, it's a profoundly esoteric mm -hmm. teaching. There are many, many deep levels of, of esoteric meaning in, in when she talks about what is matter, you know, I mean, that's the opening question of the gospel. Well, we're missing the first six pages, but the, the, the first page that we have, the first sentence is what is matter? <laughs> It's like a quantum <laughs> physics question. <laughs> right? It is. Totally. <laughs> Let's just start with the easy question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we think, this is not for silly people. This, this is right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> so no. we jump immediately into, into this, you know, into these teachings. Um, but... You know, one of the things that, that she says that I think is a really critical teaching for our time is um, the moment when she says there is no sin. Yeah. It's radical, isn't it? It turns everything on its head. And you're like, wait a minute, what did she just say? <laughs> <laughs> there is no sin. No, and then you rub a neck, like on the freeway when you see an accident, you're like, hey, hey, what did she say? <laughs> There it's like, it's four Wait. words. Right. Four words. <laughs> right. But, but if that's words. really true, then what the heck are we all doing? Like, what's happened here? Right. She has just eradicated all Orthodox Christianity. Like, the whole point of it. Gone. Gone. I know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There so, is <laughs> not small stuff. No, what is matter? And there is no sin. Yeah. <laughs> and we've only okay and we've only that's only seven words we've only got seven words and we've covered quantum physics and eradicated orthodox christianity in seven words <laughs> tell me this woman was not a genius uh-huh <laughs> exactly exactly it's a radical reframing of who she was just even from like touching into the surface of that love it's it and when, you know, when she says there is no sin, she, she is quote, she says she is quoting Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then she goes on to talk about how sin is something that we create. Sin is That's something right. that we blame ourselves for, um, and that is put upon us. And, you know, so I, I just think again, if we, we could take that whole concept, if we could completely explode this and, and get rid of this whole concept of sin and guilt and all these things that have, that have happened to put people in shame places. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine what we could erase, you know, just right. by lifting, right. you know, lifting that whole idea, you know, off of our plates and saying this, this doesn't matter anymore. It's not about this. You know? And it's so, it's so, when you really take that in, and, and I think that I've done a lot of contemplation and teaching on that one piece, because I, I feel like we are so steeped. We've been swimming in the waters of the patriarchal Christianity for the last 2000 years, but particularly the last thousand years, like really intensely, that it's it's almost impossible for us to access into that idea of like, it's so entrenched in us that to actually get separation from that, to 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 entertain what it would be like to 
not orient around having to get redemption for being a bad person, being born bad and having to prove your goodness, right? Which is the epidemic that we're still in, particularly as women, right? This is, if I could say what the number one thing is that I work with women on every day, it's somehow that I've got to prove that I'm I'm good enough. That's it, right? It's that. And I know you know this because you're in that world. And 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 it's like, what would it be like if we didn't have that story? I mean, really? Like if we didn't have to prove our goodness, if we were just inherently actually encouraged to stand in our goodness, our inherent worth, our inherent goodness, what would that mean for how we see the world? And I think it would change it, right? everything. Yeah. But, yeah. And and the second piece of that, from my perspective yeah. as a son, is this is why reclaiming our history matters. Right. Because I just, um, I did a retreat in Egypt. Um, I've done two this year that have been amazing. And in one of the retreats, I worked with 20 different women one-on-one mm. and single one of those women was carrying a persecution yeah was in a sense of if i stand in my power i will die that's it you named it if i stand in my power something terrible is going to happen to me yeah all carrying within them and some of its deep deep dna cellular yeah. us on a collective as women know what it's like to be burned at the stake and have yeah. to piece and persecuted but on on all kinds of levels in this lifetime and in the here and now, we're still dealing with that. Uh, you know, I worked in the Hollywood studio system in the 1990s. And in the 1990s, I worked for a very big studio where a very famous man who is now in jail worked. And I said at the time, hey, this is going on here and someone needs to pay attention. And I lost my job, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I lost my job for other reasons. But, but essentially, yeah, exactly. I was blackballed across the industry. I was not ever going to work again. Wow. Wow. Let's, under, let's underscore that for a moment because for the, I know for the communities that I serve and, and that I'm with and that I, I love, you know, we talk about the witch wound. We talk about the priestess wound. We talk about the wound of women stepping into what has been heresy, right? Which, which was a very real thing, right? Ooh. Very, very real thing in not that distant, too distant to pass. For most of us who are European descendants, you can probably guarantee that Somewhere in our lineage, we have people who've been persecuted, exiled, you know, hurt, shamed, humiliated, killed for anything other than a Christian patriarchal belief system. And so I think it's really, really real. And I think part of my my take on the rising of the Magdalene and the reclaiming of her, who she actually was from history and who she is now within us, because obviously she is a living experience. She's not an arcane creature from history. She's also a living, I would say, a living embodiment of the goddess that's available to us now. That is the number one thing that I think we're here to heal in ourselves, is the fear that if we stand in our power, we're going to get humiliated, shamed, attacked. And the truth is, as you well know, and I well know, as a woman standing in your power, it ain't that easy. And so I just really want to say that to all my sisters out there. I know it's not easy. You will encounter, you will encounter the resistance. And that's why we need community with each other. That's why we need to be with one another who can hold each other's backs when the going gets rough, because it does. 
because we still have a lot of ideas about, you know, we, let's not be, let's be real. We live in, I live in America right now and, you know, it's not pretty here. It's not pretty here. It's not safe for a lot of women in their communities in the far, where they're in the Christian right. It's not safe for them to stand up as women who are following Magdalene. Like, Oh, absolutely. No, not, it's, it's not, it's not safe at all. Um, I think, you know, Hmm. The, the 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 witch wound is real, right? Yeah. And and it and it exists today. And I think that's another piece of hmm. why I'd like to explore this for a minute with you. Yeah. Um, you work with so many women. One of the things that I think about Magdalene, hmm. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about this publicly. One of the things that I think is appealing to her about her to us now is when you look at any version of her story, one of the things that I think stands out is that she never falls into a place where she has to be the good girl. She is always, always, whether she's, you know, breaking over jars of ointment over his head (laughs) or protesting outside of a temple in Marseille, she is always, always, um, standing in her truth and making waves and will not let anyone, even her sister, well, she'll shame her. She won't let her sister shame her when her sister's like, why aren't you helping me in the kitchen? She's like, cause I'm exactly where I need to be doing what I need to be doing. Thank she you. does not allow anyone to shame her and she is never the good girl. I really, and- yeah, I, I, I really underscore that with you. And I think that that, that just that awareness if we can just feel into that of what that then holds for us about what it means to be feminine, what it means to be in our power and what it means for us to understand the version of femininity that we've been fed as being, and with, I mean, we know this, right, but we're constantly looking for our role models because we don't really have a lot of them, which I know is also your work with all the other women throughout history who are like, she wasn't that, she wasn't that, and she wasn't that, right? But it's like, it's really important because if we don't have role models, it's archetypes, essentially, we don't have the maps. And if we don't have the maps, it, we're all fumbling around in the dark, trying to find the map, right, literally, of what does empowered femininity actually look like? And I think that that's what you're really speaking to. And I and I love that you bring that up because I think it's really true. And I think it's like, you know, she was smart. She was intelligent. She was well-read. She was a scholar unto her own right. She was an initiated priestess. She was standing in her own. She knew what she was doing. And that's what Jesus says. I mean, she knows what she's doing. Let her do what she's doing because she knows what she's doing. She's, she's, she's anointing me right now. She's preparing me. She's doing the ritual. Like, shut up. Like, you don't understand what she's doing because you're not initiated. Go away. <laughs> you don't get it. What she's doing is so important that people are going to talk about her forever. Ever, which is what we're still doing. We're still doing it, which is hooray for us, right? We're still talking about the fact that she was an anointrix, that she was a sacred bearer of this incredible sacred technology that was the Christing, that she was the one doing that. She was the one Christing him. She was like, you are now the Christos. I mean... It blows my mind. (laughs) So anyway, I want to go back to the Gospel of Mary for any other little, I mean, little massive pieces. Like we've done the two. We've done the what is matter and there is no sin. What's the other part that you would say is one of your favorite pieces that kind of blows it out of the water? um, I think that the the really big teaching for me in the Gospel of Mary 
Dublin is this idea of there being a space between the mind and the spirit. Right? Yes. Yes. That, that there is a place in which we experience um, the universe yes. and everything that's in it. Um, that is completely different than anything that we're taught, right? It's not just mind, body, spirit. There is another piece here. The, the, the new between the two, new being N-O-U-S, right? Uh, that's what I was, it's sometimes they say news, depends, sometimes it's new. I'm in France, so we say it's new here. Um, the new between the two is what I call it, right? It's this space between um, that gives us an access to consciousness. And this is where prophecy comes from. This is where our, you know, messages from beyond come from. And her teaching about what that is, and if you're if you're reading it right and carefully, how to access it is stunning. Yeah, I agree. And this has been my personal area of fascination. You know, I started out my world as a, a therapist and then an expressive arts therapist and a psychoanalyst, you know, so the imaginal realm, the dream realm, the, the vision realm has been massive in my own healing life activation. And so when I first came across that, I was like, this is what Jung talks about. This is the place. This is the place of accessing our, our spirit, our intelligence, our wildness, our everything that ever gets invented comes through here. You know, like it's that place. And it's it's really the interface between our divinity between our divinity and our humanity, right? It's like the it's like the telephone box between the two. It's like hello. And we all have access to it. And that is the piece that is once you understand that, you can't control people. And I think that that's the thing is you know, that's the piece that I think has been most eradicated, that we are not allowed to access that. We're not allowed to go there because if we went there, we'd understand we have power to create and we have power to change things. And I think that that's radical. Which What, what they were teaching was we are we are conduits of creative creation and we can do that consciously. We can consciously call it forward. And that's how I understand it. And I'm curious how you understand it, because I've been contemplating and working with this with my communities of exploring it. And I know you have too, right? Like, let's explore this together. Like, what does that mean? And how do we access it? And what what we what do we find out when we're there? Um, so I'm super curious. I also think it's a, very interesting that it's the noose or new, which obviously in French means we. It's the we, we? space, yeah. oh, right? <laughs> which is so. When I first realized that, I was like, "Oh, she's just saying it's the we space. It's the oneness space." That's why. That's right. That's it. Right? That's like, so it's us. I know, and I blew me away. <laughs> I was like, talk about hidden in plain sight. I was like, oh, there it is. She's saying it's where we're in oneness. It's where we're no longer in the subject object duality. We've entered into a unified field. That's what matter. What is matter? You know, we get back to it. Anyway, I get really right? excited. Circle, right? But totally. interesting in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is that this is the piece of the teaching that freaks out the men. It does. It really freaks them out. Where Peter and Andrew go, nope. Yeah, exactly. They're like, how would he, why? He never spoke to us about that. Why would he have spoken to you about it? Oh my gosh. Well, what do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that this, this, this space, and I'm very serious about this. Yeah. Oneness space, this new Mm. is natural for women. Yeah. 
women access it naturally. It's, yes. it's part of who we are naturally um, before it's sort of beaten out yeah. of us, out of us. Right. But I think that it is necessarily natural for men to access it. And I think that require a lot more work to be able to access it, not because they're, you know, not because anybody is better or worse, but because we are built differently. Right. 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 And we, you know, as you know, I've been spending a lot of time in Egypt since in 2014, I started really deeply studying the connections between uh, ancient Egypt and Christianity. And one of the things that's become really clear to me and a big piece of my work now um, is understanding how the oracular tradition, the tradition of the oracles, all women uh, comes from Egypt and then evolves into, you know, the Mediterranean. Um, but that there was a strong oracular tradition in early Christianity as yes. well. Yes. And that the women were prophets, right? They were speaking. <laughs> and yes. all were female because they were able to access this space right. and get the information in ways that it's not natural for men to do. And if you think about it, we go back to sort of, you know, the whole idea of the, the of a primal world where, you know, men are they're the hunters and gatherers and responsible for, for, you know, protecting the communities and that type of thing. It wouldn't do for them to be in that space, actually. Mm. It's not, that's not their job. Mm. But for women to be in that space, we can manage it. We're multitaskers and we're multitaskers in the spirit world too. We can manage being in multiple levels of consciousness yes. We're built for that. Men are not built for that. Yeah. And I believe that eradicating our mysticism, taking that away from us, is is where the sort of the fall of mankind starts to happen. Oh. When we are being repressed and their their basic nature becomes heresy, and you know, per participating in your basic God given nature becomes illegal and punishable by death, then we have to shut all that down, right? That's what happens in the puritanical world, puritanical Christianity, you have to shut all that down. And now all of a sudden, this beautiful space doesn't exist right. anymore. Right. We've, we've shut it all down. Right. And teachings of Mary Magdalene are doing for us is it's reminding us that this is our natural state. This belongs to us and we can access it anytime we want. We just need to reclaim it now. And I think that's a lot of, of the, the the work that you're doing and I'm doing and I give this back to, to the world. It's so it's so beautiful what you just said about this this natural way of being that I, I just think we need to hear that message over and over and over again that there's a restoration of a natural instinctive intuitive being that is already here this is already what we do we already live between the worlds that's what women do we are portal holders we birth we die we bring things in to me the whole the Magdalene teachings are about the art of life death and rebirth resurrection like it's like that for me has been the biggest part of the, the the journey for me has been around oh we get to be reborn many times through one lifetime and we get to do that consciously through the menstruation through the life cycle through whether we birth babies or not what we birth into the world how we birth ourselves as spiritual beings all of it is coming through that lens. And that's the most natural thing, like you said, for us to live in all these realms. In the imaginal dreaming realm, 
you know, hormonally we're wired for that. That's what our hormonal cycle does every month for us, right? Is put us into these altered states. When we go into moon time, we're in an altered state. We're meant to be dreaming. We're meant to be finding the impossible solution to the problem down here that we can't find for down here that we need to. But, go, like, but, right? but take that, take that for a minute and let's think about the red tent days yeah. when they who were bleeding and and shunned them and told them they had to leave. I know. Because they were dirty. It was right. because in this liminal right exactly exactly and if we honored that which we've been taught not to we've been taught to look at it as the curse and look at it as something we have to get rid of right and and it's like i know in my work that a lot of it's to do with reclaiming the blood mysteries also because that's so of course they would have been practicing that that's exactly what they would have been practicing together. You know, they would have understood that, that women have understood that since the beginning of the first woman who sat there and figured out that the moon and her cycle had something in common, right? It's like, you know, and I think that there's something so beautiful in what you're saying about the naturalness of it, that it restores something that's so primal within us. It's not it's not just transcendent. It's imminent. It's here. It's in our humanity. And I think that's Long the other thing. Us. Right. And I think for me, that's been the great renaissance of working with the Magdalene has been the, the understanding of this word anthropos, what it means to become fully human. And I'd love to just visit there with you before we complete, because I think for me, when I first learned of that word and started to investigate it and really sit with it, it was like everything lined up inside of me. And I was like, oh, this is what alchemy is. This is what the divine marriage is. This is the human and divine coming together in the body, in the flesh. And I'm curious about your take on that. But for me, it's been so seminal to, to actually, you know, ponder that, contemplate it. Well, yeah. <laughs> my second book, The Book of Love, is yeah. most about this, right? I write right. about means to be fully anthropos what it means to be right. fully realized human yeah. and this is part of it becoming a fully realized human is understanding that all of this exists within you and that it's embodied you know it yeah. comes this yeah. idea that it's not something that's outside of us and it's not yeah. something in another realm it's something that's here we have all of it and we sit repeatedly in the gnostic god we hear this phrase, which I love, which is resurrect while in this body. Yes. That's it. We need, it's about resurrecting while in this body. It's a not, it's not about dying and it's, it's about resurrecting here, here. It's it like you were you, beautifully when you were talking about all the different sort of versions of of rebirth that we have in our, in, in our lives, right? Yeah. We are in the state of being able to resurrect um, repeatedly. And okay. uh, right. so for me, and, and as, as a woman, um, to become a fully realized human is to really be able to step into all of those things, to be able to step into our power uh, and really realize that we are all oracles, it's not one, it's not some special people. The people who are doing it, who are, you know, aren't, they're just able to because they don't have the barriers and it hasn't been taken from them or they've found ways to reclaim it, right? Exactly. But we all have it. It's in all of us. That's you know, it. That's it. I just want to tell you one more really quick story. 
Uh, a friend of mine did a lot, male, did a lot, a lot of work um, in Peru um, with shaman in Peru, did mm-hmm. lots of Alaska, lots of shamanic journeys, lots of medicine journeys, um, really amazing person. And he went to his shaman in Peru and he said, I have a question for you. I come to these, we have people who come from all over the world. He says, and you only accept men. And he said, why do you only accept men into these journeys? And this shaman who was, he said, was ancient and wise and extraordinary said, women don't need this. Because they already are it. That's what he said. He said, we have to do it. We have to do it to be able to access all these things that women can do all by themselves. Right, which is there in the, lies the story. immediate access to it. Right. Men don't have immediate access to it. They can access it, but right. they have to go through a lot of steps. They have to tear down a lot of walls. And what he was saying is, all a woman has to do is remember who she is, and she's already there. There you and go. I thought, wow. wow. Yeah, wow is right. Well, because if you really then look at that from the macrocosmic structures that we're living in, you really then have the basis as to why the feminine has been so repressed and made heresy and controlled. Because if they can't access it, they can't give birth, they can't bleed, they can't do all the things that we can do. And they're threatened by it because that has been looked upon as somehow if we can't do it, then, you know, you, we can't, it's, it's, it must be suppressed because it threatens us. I mean, that's that's what we're living in. And that's what we're still working to dismantle and to have the fear of this. You know, I, I was really reflecting because I've been working with the word magic a lot because I really feel like that word has been completely like the word feminine. <laughs> has been completely un- misunderstood and 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 diminished because we don't really understand what magic actually is. We think about magicians on stage doing tricks, right? That's what magic is. But magic actually it is the fundamental part of what we're talking about, that this feminine magic that we have naturally, which is actually to be able to move in and out of matter. There we go. There's the connection for me. <laughs> Is that we travel in and out of form all the time. That is the nature of the feminine. We're not fixed. We are interdimensional. We're always changing and growing and impermanent. We're never the same. And that is one of the gifts of the feminine. And this is also what takes us back to the critically important teachings from ancient Egypt. Oh, well, we're going to have a whole other podcast episode on that. That's another one because Isis and her sister Nephthys are the ladies of magic. And it's exactly. all. Oh, well, let's, let's bookmark that one. Let's do Nephthys and yeah, Isis. We'll have to come back and do it. We'll do an Egypt discussion next. But, Absolutely, um, because there's so yeah, many pieces to thread. It's the source. Egypt is the source of all of it. You always yeah. go back to so, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I know that we should probably wrap it up, but I could continue chatting about this. It's so fun to, to play in this realm with you. And for everyone who's been listening, I guess stay tuned. I guess we're doing another one of these sometime soon here. We'll, we'll get it on the books. I but, hope so. Yeah. So, but please know if you, if you loved this conversation, share it with others. Let's get this out there. Let's get this discussion out there in the world, my loves, because, you know, and, and start talking to people about this and start doing your own investigations if you haven't read the gospel of mary yet go in i don't know when is your book when is that book coming kathleen (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question it probably won't be out till the beginning of next year um but i 
have these conversations on my Patreon channel twice a month. Exactly. I highly recommend you go visit her Patreon channel because there's an amazing Magdalene community there. And I know that we're we're all going to be staying with bated breath for that new book to come out on the, I certainly am, on the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Because this is what I found too, is, is that we're all holding these threads, right? Just as we're all oracles and seers, we've all got access to that. We, as we read these words, the living remembrance, that's the other word that I love, the anamnesis is one of my favorite words. The living remembrance is being awakened within you. That's where they were coded into those words. That's why the words, when we get underneath them, aren't just words, they're vibrations that hold medicine for us that help us to remember what it is that we're here to remember. That's the basis of all Gnosticism, which is a whole nother conversation, right? But this idea of remembrance is so key. And we are all here to remember. So I just really want to encourage you all to, 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 to continue to contemplate and investigate because what you come up with will help us weave the threads. That's we're all part of the, the grand reweaving intentionally, I think. I don't think we're waiting for the return of one. We, we're, we, we've been waiting for the return of the collective. Yes. <laughs> the collective one. Yes. We're swimming in the new now. We're swimming in the oh, new. We're swimming in the we. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I want to just thank you, Kathleen, for being here with me. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to jive with you in all these realms. Um, just tell us what, what have you got upcoming if people want to come? I'm no Patreon, but I know you also have got a, a trip to France later in the year that still has spaces in it. Which one is that? Uh, in October, I've got um, a, a Magdalene intensive in Provence where um, we deal with both her historical persona and her spiritual persona. And this is, that's a that's a real in-depth Magdalene journey. Four or five spaces left. It's almost sold out. Um, What's the date on that one? I believe it starts on the 3rd of October. Awesome. And it, it ends actually in this wonderful festival that happens every year in the, in the, on the, on the shores of St. Marie de la Mer, where they reenact the arrival of Mary Magdalene on the beach at night by candlelight. Oh and my gosh. So that I'm excited about, about bringing people to do that. But if I can just say, I do twice a year, I do a, an in-depth retreat, uh, for the, the way of love, um, which is usually in July, it's sold out for this year. But if you go to, um, bodymindspiritjourneys.com they carry all of my retreats and all of my uh all of my journeys and also um, my in-depth uh, Egypt journeys I'm doing an in-depth oracular journey to Egypt in February uh, <laughs> yeah which is going to be really amazing and and intense but uh but really really special so that's oh my goodness I'm working on around the world how fabulous well thank you for being here and to all of you who've been listening be aware be aware to tune in for another conversation on the red podcast and i'm just so honored to get to be here with you all all right many blessings to you all we'll speak soon bye i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the red podcast it's been an honor to have you here with us As red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. 
If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings. Blessings.